You're listening to Social Misfit. What's going on, Misfits? It is me, your host, and this week is going to be the first Misfit moment of the year. That is right. I came back this year with a vengeance. I'm still committed to every Wednesday dropping an episode. I've had three thus far since my return. And now I am alone in my room in Minnesota. I've been out here all week. I'll be here uh, to the end of the week until Sunday. I'm doing a couple college shows. And you know, they love me out here, honey, because it's February going into March and I'm a two for I'm a two for one I'm a black woman so that covers black history month which has been abysmal and tragic thus far and I am a woman a woman a cis woman I believe I'm saying it correctly um I'm here chilling in my room I am in a very small town called Marshall Minnesota I started my week in Minneapolis And I had a day off, so I decided to go to Paisley Park Studios, which is the home and office of the genius musician, singer, songwriter, all of the above, uh, stare you in your face and make you want to take your clothes off, uh, Prince Roger Nelson, otherwise known as Prince. And I definitely did not allow myself to like, have too much thought about going because I know that when he first passed away there was like the whole circus of his family and they were um reaching out to like the judges and and all these people was coming out of the woodwork saying they were related and you know when that type of stuff happens especially when it comes to like trying to figure out like a family tree I'm always like intrigued so I did the research already and so Prince's parents had uh, kids before they first met and both parents were also musicians as well like a jazz musician his dad was like a jazz musician and his mom was a jazz singer and so the father had four kids or three kids already and and the mother had one kid already and then two of them together had Prince and his whole sister And then after the parents separated, his mother had one more younger brother. So and then one of the siblings passed away. So there's like five siblings left who um, have a part of the estate. And so almost immediately after uh, he passed away and he passed away in the like on the premises, like in the building somewhere, they don't tell you where. But when you do go in there, uh there is like they give you a moment they want to like I did the VIP one which is a hundred dollars and so with that uh I just laid up briefly to get a pillow so I could lay back down hold on okay so I did the VIP uh tour and that was that comes with a guide guide and then they take you around the facility to the areas that you see on the VIP tour and they give you like a good backstory and so he um 
like when we first started, we started in this room called the atrium and then it has like um, doves because Prince raised doves who knew and it's like a marble floor with the Prince sign in the middle and like off to the side is like a little kitchen area where he would sit and there was a TV in there and he would watch the you know basketball and they had like the Lakers on a loop on the TVs like to kind of show you it reminded me when I went to see um when I went to see the Scientology building in Harlem when I was a journalist I was a writer for the village voice and I noticed that like the Scientology um church church of Scientology was like doing massive outreach in Harlem and it was because they were building a a church quote-unquote church in Harlem and so they were you know trying to appease uh, appeal to the locals and and it was kind of working you know I don't know why anyway but uh, I felt like black people was like oh is Scientology the cheat code to Christianity like do I get to skip the line at the pearly gates if I let these thetans go and Zenu is like is Jesus's cousin on his mama's side so you know maybe it's no harm no foul but I went to check out the Church of Scientology and they gave me a grand tour and first of all when you walk first of all I realized that I went from talking about Paisley Park Studios to Scientology but hear me out I think both (laughs) have some similarities but just different force fields of energy and I shall continue so the Church of Scientology is always a massive building and all of the buildings are are designed the same they have the same areas the same you know things that you go there for like they they all look the same they all look the same they all feel the same and they all as like a rule have a replica of L. Ron Hubbard's office and the office is set up the same way it was when he was alive right and so he has his, his name plate on it, his big wooden desk. It has like a replica of like a sailboat in the back of it. Like, cause he, you know, he was very into like nautical stuff. Uh, that's why he always wore like a sailor hat. This is L. Ron Hubbard. Um, not to be confused with Prince who himself has worn like a kind of like motorcycle hat that looks like a sailor hat with the like a little bit. But anyway, so, um, so I remember them giving me the tour of the Scientology building in Harlem. Actually, no, it was a Scientology building in Times Square, which was their, their biggest one in New York City. And so they wanted me to really see that. I did go to the one in Harlem, which was like smaller, smaller scale. But then they were like, we got to give you the grand tour. Right. And for some reason, Scientologists are really kind of like silly because they know that they get targeted by the media all the time and so they should just know by now that if anybody in the media is doing an article about Scientology it's not going to be a fucking glowing review so they were going you know above and beyond to show me all of the like you know parts of their facilities knowing that I was a writer for the Village Voice and then they were shocked when I wrote the article being like yeah, they trying to go for people of color now because um, most white people know Scientologists are crazy. But I guess the black folks wasn't really watching Tom Cruise movies like that or John Travolta outside of like, you know, Grease reruns and Pulp Fiction. Like nobody was really giving a damn about, you know, Battlefield Earth. So they had a new untapped market. And so that was what my article was about. It was like, you know, how black folks love some good religion. So here's a new thing. And, you know, I felt like they were falling for it. 
So anyway, the article comes out and the Church of Scientology is pissed. And so they go and they start trying to intimidate me. But little did they know that my editor in chief at the time, Tony Ortega, is like a A1 grand level anti-Scientology like buff you know like he don't play them no games with them he's written about them he's he's become like an expert on Scientology and so he still continues to do that kind of work today like has a website he's been in like documentaries so he was like oh Chloe they calling you tell them to come to me and you know most people they say the Scientologists they intimidated me and they harassed me he was like give them my home address and I'm gonna be outside like that's how like badass he was about it But the one thing that I will say about the Church of Scientology is that the facility is immaculate and they take copious notes. And so if you've ever been out in the streets and you see them out there, they used to do, I mean, they don't say they're Scientologists, but you got to like look at the fine print. But if you've ever been in New York City and I guess other places, but I remember they was doing this for a while. They was doing a stress test. And so they would set up in the train stations and they would have this table set up and they were like, oh, would you like to take a stress test and see how stressed out you are and all of this other stuff. And so lo and behold, they showed me that room. I can't. It's like I think it's called the evaluation room. Don't quote me on this. But you go to these little rooms and then, you know, what they do is they have somebody like audit you. And, you know, they ask you all of these questions about your life. And you hold these, you know, two metal rods and the energy from your responses gives them like a feed, a reading. And it's supposed to let them know like what areas of your life are stressing you out. And, you know, Scientology is about removing negative energy and, you know, clearing you so that you can really ascend to a higher plane of existence, which I'm not really mad at. But then like, you know, L. Ron Hubbard really was a science fiction writer. So like his theory is a self-serving religion. It's not really, you know. Anyway, um, but who knows? Maybe they right. Maybe they right and we wrong. But the reason why I say that they wrong is because any religion that forces you to like stop talking to your family is wrong in my book. Like the, you know, the higher energy beings, be it God or the universe or whatever you want to refer to as the, you know, the the all knowing power would never say stop talking to your wife. But so what really happens in those rooms is not only are they asking you questions about some embarrassing moments in your life and picking up on your, your energy and figuring out, you know, what you are uncomfortable with or what are you are ashamed of that they think they're going to help. They, they convince you that they're going to help rid you of. It's not even about the reading of the rods and the, you know, the energy or whatever that comes up on the test because they're supposed to be reading like your wavelengths or some shit. They're actually secretly videotaping you in that room. And so as you're sitting there pouring your heart out, thinking that you found like, you know, a new spiritual home and you have someone that's like hearing you out and you have all these repressed feelings and you're talking about abuse or alcoholism or the time, you know, like imagine like, you know, going to a Christian, not Christian, going into like a Catholic booth, you know, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And then you turn around and realize that they've been recording you the whole time. So that's what the Church of Scientology does. They record you and they keep, you know, copious notes and a foul on you and that's why so many people have had a hard time leaving the churches because they pretty much like black uh blackmail you with all this embarrassing and private information and you know they'll leak it and use it against you because they're deviants so that's where 
Prince's Paisley Park studio comes in. Prince, and please tell me if this is like a reach of a comparison. Like, write me some notes, especially, and like, send me a DM, hit me up in the comments. Like, you know, as they say on YouTube, you know, like, share, um, comment, all of that jazz. Uh, so, and Prince's Paisley Park Studios, the tour guide told us that he, Prince, kept everything. He recorded everything, not like people's conversations, but he like actually cell phones aren't even allowed in Paisley Park. Well, they're allowed, but you have to turn them off. So like when you check into Paisley Park, you go to the front desk. It's like, you know, it's like an office, not an office, office building, but it's an office building. Um, it it functions as an office building before it was turned into this museum. And Prince actually, and I always thought when I would like see it on TV, because it looks like a little, you know, like a compound, not that many windows, very square, you know, flat white. I thought, oh, this is like his creative space. And then maybe there's another building that's like, if you look up the map of Paisley Park, there's like a square shaped building with corners you know like you know square flat solid and then there's like another building that's like a dome like a circular dome and they are not connected and so I always thought okay well one of those is like you know I guess the smaller one is like his house where he like stays and sleeps and the other part is like the compound for the creative stuff but no that actual dome they he called it the egg and it was a building because he wanted to open up like a cafe or nightclub or restaurant on the grounds and the city that he lives in they gave him so many you know problems about a permit so the expert not the expert but the tour guide said that that dome building is actually empty it's never been finished it's just like an exterior there's nothing inside of it I mean he could be lying but you know that's what he said and so Prince actually had a bedroom on the second floor next to the doves cages and above the atrium and the tour guide was like, yeah, his bedroom is, you know, it's a modest bedroom. It's not as like palatial as you think it would be because I think he probably poured more of his energy and time into like the music space, the studios and all that stuff. And the tour guide said that Prince's bathroom was like the size of his bathroom at home. And I was like, well, what about his clothes? He was like, oh, no, no. He had like massive storage for his clothes because he kept everything. And then, you know, there's the vault that's in the basement because he also recorded everything. And so Prince from, you know, going back to the beginning, he would record every performance, whether it is a jam session, a, stu a concert practice, a a small club, a stadium. He recorded everything and he had an editing bay in his space. Uh, there was offices for the people who worked for his production company record slash record label. He had, I believe it's four recording studios, like massive, like, you know how you watch those old, those old uh, movies and, you know, they're like singing in a room that's like all wooden and, you know, there's space for the drummer and the pianist and like all the band members, like they're all in that one room. Like if you were to look at the music video for, oh gosh, I just, um, I just freaking went blank. Uh, okay. PJ Morton. I think that's his name. PJ Morton, who won a Grammy and, it was him and Yeba Smith and they did the uh, 
they did a version of How Deep Is Your Love by the Bee Gees. Like that kind of old school studio like that. That's what like the studios of Prince looked like. And so one of them was like, I guess his favorite studio. And he had a ping pong table. And, you know, there's like the infamous story of like Prince's um, amazing at ping pong. And when you do the VIP tour, they let you, you know, play on the ping pong table. And granted, I understand how somebody being like, this is crazy. Why would they like it's so personal? And so when Prince passed away, I want to say like in March, he passed away in like March of 20, I think 16, right? And well, 17. And I'm not sure. And within like four or five months, they were like, we're going to turn this into a museum. And by that fall, it was open. Like whatever year he died that fall, they had opened it up. And so when you start looking after the tour, that's why I didn't want to look at anything because I don't want to be in there being like, oh, this is shady. And, you know, I looked at stuff and people had raised concerns about being like, well, damn, he wouldn't have wanted it this way. Like he would have never, cause I ain't gonna front. I mean, I definitely have been hearing Prince songs on like capital one commercials. And I'm like, I know this is not what he wanted <laughs> at all. So yeah, but, um, but you definitely get the feeling that whoever is in charge of Prince's space, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel shady. Now, I don't know. Let me retract that. I don't know who's in charge of it, but I'm just saying like the operation of the actual house doesn't feel shady. Now, maybe who isn't who's overseeing it, they could be pocketing money and the family's not really getting it. I don't know about all of that, but I'm just saying the execution of turning his private residence slash production space into a museum was done very, very well. In fact, the people who oversee Graceland, Elvis Presley's uh, property, are the same is the same company that oversees Prince's uh, space. And I think it's interesting because we don't really have that many modern day people, I feel, who could turn their space into that. Like when you think about going to other countries, especially like European countries, you know, I've been to Versailles before I've been to, you know, other places where it's like these are the quarters of the noble and the wealthy, the Kings and the Queens. And this looks exactly the way it looks back then. And the upkeep of that, but like that was legit royalty. And I don't know if like modern day people, I don't know if there's a lot of modern day people who could be in the same position to have a Graceland and or a Paisley Park studio. Now, granted, Paisley Park studio is very impressive, but it's not gaudy and it's not over the top. I mean, it's definitely designed with like everything like Prince designs, everything like it has his like his tone and and is it weird because like some of the furniture felt very like from it felt very like um not Beetlejuice yeah a little bit Beetlejuice it felt very like a little bit Beetlejuicey like the furniture like you know big like big high back chairs and like you know really weird shapes and legs kind of like funky so that was his style but it wasn't the space wasn't like overrun with memorabilia like there were Uh, plaques on the wall there's you know guitars throughout there's pianos throughout but it's not like every nook and cranny has like you know a piece of something from his collection his office is still there uh and you know 
it's I guess it looked the way it looked when he was last there. And, you know, so like some papers out and picture family pictures and that sort of stuff. Uh, but what was like kind of really impressive, they had outfits out and he's tiny. Like I know they say his his driver's license says five three, but he was had to be at least like maybe five foot, maybe five foot he was teeny tiny teeny and so you had uh, a room that was dedicated to purple rain uh rooms dedicated to other other films of his and you know albums and concert tours like it was a really good like put like this like if you go there it felt it felt like less of a less of a museum-y feeling like you weren't overrun with like visuals but it was enough for you to be like okay this was his living space it still feels like you know a space where he created so you have that air of you know freedom and space and then it like you know as you look and turn you see like oh there's like an outfit from here and an outfit from there it wasn't like um, it's not like a museum museum exhibition with like you know a room full of mannequins filled with clothes like you know it's not like that but you definitely well I don't know about you but I definitely felt like the energy when I walked in there it felt kind of very personal and you know I didn't want to feel like I was intruding on someone's space even though I was intruding on someone's space and uh once I feel like once the tour guide said let's have a moment of silence then I kind of like was able to really exhale you know I definitely did my um Palo Sano Sano Palo I always get it mixed up but I definitely smudged the fuck out of myself before I went there and after I came home and I was on a tour with three other women all white uh two of them like BFFs and they were really old and one woman had a foot in a boot and the other woman was actually taller than me. She was visiting from Georgia. She was taller than me. And it was interesting because at moments throughout the tour, the tour guide was like, yeah, you know, everything as you see is what Prince wanted. He he had specifications on his computer when he passed away. And we were like, yeah, okay, calm down. You're a little bit heavy handed. Like, just be real. Uh, his family want that guap. His family want that guap and they want to preserve what he left behind. And I don't blame them for that. But it makes you wonder, like, am I doing enough to archive my life? Like, am I keeping things behind? So, you know, my legacy could live on. And I know it sounds really egotistical, but like my legacy. But just think about like your actual life. I think that there's a lot of things that we dismiss as not being worth anything. Um and we just kind of write them off or you know throw it away and I'm not saying become a hoarder because I think it's a difference like when you're wealthy and you have money and people know who you are like if you kept every fucking outfit that you ever wore that shit is like remarkable but if I sat around here and kept every fucking outfit I have from forever 21 and my gap t-shirts with the stains in the front they'd be like we gotta put this chick on hoarders so there's definitely a privilege that comes from having money and the things that you are allowed to do with your life. Um, am I done talking about Prince? I think so. Um, what else happened since I've been traveling? I have been eating like shit. Full disclosure. Um, I think I'm a little stressed out, but I don't know why. Oh, I'm lying. I know why. I'm not stressed out. I'm just um what's that word like restless yes I'm restless I am back on the road I 
don't really enjoy being in like these small towns and the travel that goes along with it. So like, for example, today I was off. I didn't have a show. I stayed up really late. I was editing, you know, some stuff, editing footage. And I slept in, woke up, turned on the television. I'm watching the Cohen uh, hearing, which is a hot mess. I'm not even I'll, I'll save I'll save any Cohen talk that I have for this week's episode of The World is Terrible. Uh, commercial time, ladies and gentlemen, this world, the world is terrible. Let me even save the show title right. I'm not editing none of this shit. The World is Terrible is Chloe Hilliard's new YouTube series, which releases every Friday in which the comedian sits on her couch and waxes poetic about the headlines of the week, giving a unique and creative breakdown of topics of the day. And if she's not at home on her couch, she's somewhere in the world still trying to get the video done, which I will be doing this week. Um, I did not even bring my freaking tripod, like my big one. I didn't bring my break. I didn't bring my my light, my big light with me. So who knows um, how this video is going to get done this week. But I'm committed. I'm committed. OK, I've been burning up this space on my laptop editing video which I haven't done in a while I do thoroughly enjoy it but you know it's addicting and it's challenging and very fulfilling even though most people don't watch my videos but it's all about consistency that's something else I wanted to talk about I have been back on social media I took a break to finish writing the book and now I'm back on with a calculated vengeance I was tweeting today throughout the Cohen trial and I have been posting stuff on Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, I think that the thing that I realized since taking a break from social media is that it is so addictive and you definitely feel I do at least I feel the chemicals in my brain changing as I start scrolling on timelines like it's like give me more give me more it's like a drug like literally we I, you get a sense of satisfaction from being on social media and I've had to kind of like just go back to when I wasn't on it while I was finishing my book so that I could realize that I can function without it like I don't need to have my laptop open searching for something that I'm working on and in, in between the waiting literally in between waiting for the search results I pick up my phone and then I get sucked into a timeline and then now I'm like oh shit I forgot I was searching something on my laptop like I did that last night and I'm like I can't do that because it just really bogs you down and yes I definitely engage and I you know have some funny tweets today about the hearing but I can't allow myself to sit there and want to see everybody's reaction to things that I say because some people just really don't even know who who I am and vice versa and if you start sitting around trying to get responses from people that you have never met in life it just sets a very terrible terrible precedence now, when I was watching the hearing, even though I know I said I would talk about it on my brand new web series called The World is Terrible. It definitely made me think like, hmm, I wonder if I could be a politician. Like, I wonder, I wonder, because now the pre like the president has been eradicated. Like, you don't even need to come from like a certain life or level of education or political experience. Like the playing field is wide 
open now. And it'll be interesting to see how many other people start contemplating a career in politics. But before I do all of that, I know one thing is for sure, I have got to get back on my my health regimen because I ate, I had some, uh, I had some Oreo, chocolate covered Oreos today, like the thin bite ones that come in like the little like bag, like the little snack bag, not like a box of Oreos, but like the little new thin chocolate covered ones they have. I went to Walmart today. I had to get some food. Uh, while I'm traveling, there's pretty much really no place to get like a good, well-balanced meal because, you know, so I go to I went to Walmart today and got some groceries and then I was able to, you know, put together a little meal in my hotel room. Uh, but I definitely did stop and pick up. Let me see what it is. Let me here's the bag. Oreo Thin Bites Fudged Dipped Mint Cream. When I tell you, it's as good as close as you're going to get to a Thin Mint, honey. Thin Damn Mint. Speaking of Thin Mints, uh, the Girl Scouts of America have two brick and mortar uh, stores in the Mall of America. I was at the Mall of America walking around. I did not go, but I did pull it up. Mall of America is massive. It's huge. I've been there before. And then whenever I think about it, I'm like, why the hell did somebody build this huge ass freaking mall? But then you realize that the temperatures here are freezing. Uh, it was, well, it's, I'm not in Minneapolis, but when I was there, it was like one degree or minus one. And so people legit just go to the mall because it's something to do because they got, they got amusement rides in the mall. They got a daggone log cabin ride. You know, the water slide with the log that you get in. They had that going like today at the mall meanwhile is one degree outside and people are, and i was looking at the it was a father and son i was like how you why you get on a water ride you got on a water ride it's freezing outside but that's just what they do because that's the life that they live out here so in conclusion um i've i've been eating like crap this week i went to prince's house i got inspired to up my creative process and that means I will start videotaping my spots more often so I can just watch and critique myself and think about how I can become a better performer I'm going to start you know posting more not a lot more but posting clips of me actually performing so people on social media know that I'm a real comedian not just like a fake uh, Instagram comedian who just talks really loud in their bathroom mirror or in the driver's seat of their car with no actual punchline, but just, you know, funny faces and a lot of intonation. I don't have the energy for that. I don't have the energy for that. And I don't have the lung capacity for that. I mean, I'm just not, I'm not interested, but I do write jokes and I've written for people too, but that's a whole nother conversation. So this is my first misfit moment of the week. I am excited to be back. I am excited to be consistent because I do find joy in being consistent and being and you know, saying what I'm going to do and sticking to it. And I do feel very grateful that you guys still listen to me and rocked out with me, um, even though I had been inconsistent in the past. But I'm back, baby. I'm here. Mama is home. She ain't going nowhere. Partially because I have a book to promote. Speaking of this book, commercial number two, 
Comedian and former journalist Chloe Hilliard is proud to announce the pre-ordering of her debut book, Fuck Your Diet. That's right. Fuck Your Diet, a new book coming from comedian Chloe Hilliard releases this September, but you don't have to wait until then. No, you can start now. You can pre-order your book or books, plural, and be in the loop. Just go to F, the letter F, your diet, Y-O-U-R diet.com for more information and to see all the pretty pictures of Chloe Hilliard's cover. Folks, it's been a great ride. I am going to uh, wind down for the night. I had a very busy day. I did 35 minutes of cardio in the gym. Well, it's not really a gym. It's the fitness room, which is just a hotel room that they took the door off of and put uh, like two or three cardio machines. Like I think it's like a bike, a treadmill and an elliptical and then a rack of weights. So I went to the fitness room today, 35 minutes. Um, I tweeted ferociously about the Cohen hearing. I went to Walmart and that was my day. And so I'm going to, you know, take it on down for the night. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I appreciate you. And I'll be back next week.